Well, good morning. So my name is Trey Bowden. If we have not met before, I'm one of the elders here. I have the opportunity to serve doing that. I've been here for about eight years uh, or nine years. I don't know. It just seems like home these days. And um, the truth is, is, is uh, when, I, when I was thinking about what it was it that we were going to preach, so we, we've been going through Matthew. We're going to be going into the Psalms. And uh, back when Chris was looking for someone while he was uh, thinking about going on vacation, uh, I volunteered for this day. And, um, and something that I guess about six months ago, Sarah came out of a, a service and, and was like, you know what, we should talk about friendships one morning. And so this morning, that is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's, it's just a topic of friendship. Now, usually when we, when we do sermons here, it's usually exegetical, meaning we go verse by verse, line by line. Sometimes we dig in deep into words, and, and that's, that's normal. This will be an atypical sermon this morning. It is going to be more topical. Um, and at some level, I, I think it's, it's, it's good for us to sometimes just dive into the practicalities of what does it mean to actually live as believers in Christ amongst those uh, that, that we call friends. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, I want to I read this verse. I, I don't know. The Lord was just out sitting there and I was like, man, like, I haven't figured out a way to work this particular verse in it. And you'll be like, really, Bowden? You hadn't figured that out? But I just want to read this over you because I, I think it's, it's, it's something that I, and so, so with that being said, I invite you to do even just, if you wanted to, is just to open your hands and receive this scripture from John, from Jesus when he's meeting with his disciples whether it be opening your hands, if that's helpful, if, if it's just closing your eyes, if that's helpful, but really asking God in this moment as I read these words to picture him, even in this upper room, saying this to you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus, thank you that you are a God that reveals the heart of the Father to us. Thank you for the gift of Scripture and the Word. Thank you for the gift of the fact that you are always with us, ever present, and that we get to know what you're up to because you call us no, not just servants, but close and dear friends. For this, Jesus, we love you. Amen. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I uh, wanted to, to do a quick news, news break here from the desk of the Surgeon General. Um, there's been a study that's been released and it's about an epidemic. Don't worry, don't have PTSD. It's not viral and it's not bacterial. But the thing is, is it is something that is deeply within us that, this, that the Surgeon General released this study about a month ago. And it was this advisory of the, of the healing effects of social connection, that there is an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. 
And some of this, they say, is, is a little bit of an effect from, from COVID that we've, we, because of how isolated we were, but some of it too is just this interesting irony is as globally connected as we are, as it's easy it is to just shoot off a quick text or something like that to, to stay connected, there's this deep-seated belong, uh, desire to have belonging and, and to find, to be known and to be truly known at a deep level and to find social connection that it just appears to be hard this day and age, whether it be the speed of culture, whether it be the complex issues that, that are out in the world and, and how do we actually work through some of those conversations. The thing is, is regardless if you're a believer here or not, what the study reveals is that something that is deep in your soul is a desire to find belonging and to be known. So whether this is you're, you're a Christian, which we are gonna be talking about specifically Christian relationships this morning, or you're not, I just wanna recognize that, that you have an echo of Eden in your heart, that God created and crafted you to be in relationship. But we are going to be talking about friends this morning. Come on, who can do it? Okay, yeah, just making sure that, that we're all still the crowd. But we are going to be talking about this idea of friendship. And culture does have different ideas of what that friendship might look like. For many of us, Toy Story might have been the first place that we thought about what does it mean to have a friend in me. Or maybe you grew up in the church, which I remember sign languaging to uh, my, uh, doing sign language to, uh, during my confirmation in the Methodist church uh, to friends are friends forever. But the topic of this morning, that dude, like that is a real uh, piece of album art. I mean, we really, I mean, wow, Smitty, I'm just so proud of you for even having the gumption to do that. But the point this morning is this, is to become more like Christ, we need friends. And the thing is, is I think sometimes our culture celebrates this idea of the lone wolf, that it's, it's actually okay to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, be the cowboy of relationships. It's okay for you to, you know, just say, oh, you know, you know I, I just really just spend most of my time with my family, which don't get me wrong, I think family is important. But I also think that sometimes friendships get laid off mainly just because we don't have the time, we don't wanna put in the effort. But I wanna recognize that from the very beginning of the foundation of creation, there was a God who was in relationship with himself. And yes, for you nerds, this was God before the creation of the world in mid-journey. Um, I'm just, AI art, it's just amazing to me. But the thing is, is, is before the creation of the world, God was in relationship with himself. And the beautiful thing is that we have in Genesis 1, 27 and 28 is we were made in his image to be in relationship like him and to be with him. Now there's all sorts of things that come with this idea of the idea of image in that verse. It actually means like this idea of this fingerprint. And you know, we talk about fingerprints, we talk about biometrics, and that's, that's what makes you uniquely you. At the core of who you are, God made you, I think, to be 
in relationship with him. Not only that, is he called you to, to, to be an image of what does it mean to look like to live in relationship with others? It's the reason why he had a people, not just a person, but a people to be a blessing to the nations so that they might know who God is. And certainly in the very personhood of Jesus, and you know, I keep coming back to the chosen because it's just amazing to watch Jesus, not Jesus, but Jesus, uh, in friendship with his disciples. Like, that's what I love about this show. I mean, it, they portray this group of people as just, they genuinely love each other deeply. And I think it's no wonder that, that when the, the biggest enemy of the early church, when he looks back and asks the question, how do I form after I've gone through my own transformational moment where Jesus met me, how do I challenge the church to form and to live out into the world? How do I, how do I write to them and make sense of it when, when St. Paul puts this together and he says, oh my gosh, here's the deal. You're supposed to act like a family, which some of us in this room are like, I don't want necessarily the church to act like my family. And I recognize that families are hard, but families are often hard because oftentimes you're just not friends. You see, friends, even in families, is the core foundation of some of the most healthy relationships and to understand what friendship is. And Paul talks a lot about it in his letters and the New Testament shows us, you know, we've got tons of different examples of, of you know, David and Jonathan. And we've got, you know, I think just some really powerful um, moments with Jesus and Peter of what real friendship looks like. I think about Barnabas and Paul, which is sometimes a story that we don't necessarily play up as much. But at the same time, the Bible is not necessarily a whole treatise on what does friendship look like. And we have to kind of like take the Bible, look at it and get an idea of it. I mean, even the word friendship, okay? Even the word friendship is, is a little bit of a complicated word in, in scripture. It's not necessarily like something that the Bible dives deep into. In fact, ancient Near East cultures, they would look at friendship as being this idea of um, whether it be like business partners. I was at an Atlanta United game this past week and I brought actually one of my clients. Uh, yeah, go Atlanta United. But um, it was still a rough game and it was, it was tough. Um, but the, uh, the client that I was with, uh, I, I actually ran into a couple of you and the way I introduced him was like, oh, this is my friend. So even, even still to this day, we have some levels of even what a shallow friendship look like when we, when we just identify people as friends. Because I mean, Andrew and I, like we've, we've hung out a couple times on Zoom, but that was the first time us meeting up really in person to, to, to be there, but he's my friend, right? There's other ways in the ancient Near East cultures where, where it was like political allies um, of being like, oh, you can trust my friend, he has authority in his life. But what Jesus, particularly in this passage that I read at the very beginning that he talks about, is he flips it on this script. I mean, it's, 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 it's another way of Jesus being a little bit radical here of saying, no, 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 it's not about what you give to me. It's about knowing who the Father is through me. That's the thing that actually unites and bonds us as friends which is helpful, it's good to know that Jesus is the one that glues us together as friends. But I think one of the questions that, that I think that we kind of have to like really dig and work through a little bit is to ask the question, what, what should Christ-centered friendships actually look like? 
Now, before we go any further, I wanna have a real quick aside. Sometimes making friends and finding friends is really hard. And I wanna recognize that that's true. For some of us, that's, that could be the stage of life that we're in. It could be uh, the, the circumstances around our lives. It could be all of these things. So if you are in this, this scenario, my, my goal is not to guilt and shame that you should have more friends, even though you have been trying to like have, like, like you've been trying so hard. And we hope that this would be a place that you can find friendship here. I mean, to be honest, like I can pretty much like make friends with a brick wall. <laughs> it's just easy for me to do that. But it's not always easy for some personalities. And I want you to understand that, that this is a place for you to find friendships. And we hope that you do find deep friendships here, but we are gonna dive into what this is. And there's four different foundations that I'm thinking about, um, I've been thinking about, and these aren't the only foundations. These are just the things that have just popped into my head as I've been praying about this for about a month. And the first place that we're gonna look at is this idea of living the one another's, living out the one another's. Throughout scripture, there are, uh, you know, over 40 different moments where the scripture is, is imploring and, and, and calling us to live out the one another's. And it's these phrases, a couple of them here are, are some of the highlights. We'll get into a couple more in a second. But if we were going to ask the question, what does a healthy Christian look like? Anybody want to point to like in scripture, what, what, what type of scripture would we point to to say, this is what a healthy Christian might look like? You have to yell loud. I've been in bands all my life, so. Bingo, right? Fruits of the Spirit. So that's interesting, right? Like, so it's a lot of times we look at the fruits of the Spirit because it's, it's helpful to have these kind of qualities, right? But I think that sometimes the, the one another's kind of get this back seat. Because if we're really going to talk about the practical ways of Christian living, the one another's are some of the most practical and applicable ways for us to model what does it look like to be Jesus in the world amongst our relationships and friendships. So to love one another, right? This idea of like, of love, which is a complicated idea in, in our world. The love that we're talking about here is sacrificial. It's about brotherhood and sisterhood it's about really genuine, deep love. Serving one another. Encouraging one another. It's like, when was the last time you just randomly just texted just someone that's, that's within your life group or, or friend group? Just an encouraging word. Not, no agenda, nothing attached to it, just to build them up. Praying for one another. I get to the end of the week sometimes and I don't even think about praying for my friends. Man, I was convicted of that this week. In fact, I, I texted Jonathan Pasquale. Um, I texted him, are you up? Which usually at, you know, 6.30 in the morning, Jonathan is not only up, but like Sarah and Jonathan have already conquered the world for the day. But uh, he said, yeah, what's up? Now, here's the thing. When you get a text like that, are you up in the morning, early in the morning, at first thing, I can imagine it makes your heart kind of flutter a little bit of like, what's, what's going on, you know, that you're going to, do we need to? The thing is, is like, usually I would just send a text message and say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. But I actually wanted to have that genuine connection, knowing that he was on the other line, just to say, hey, I'm praying for you guys this morning as I've walked. 
But I don't often do that. I don't prioritize that enough. But I think that there's something amazing about when we actually not just sit there in our prayer journals, but let each other know that we're praying for each other and to bear one another's burdens. I can point to so many, like if I were gonna say something that our church does really well, it is bearing with each other's burdens. But I wanna be really clear about something. Bearing with each other's burdens isn't just about that single moment in people's lives where you have to bear that burden, but then you put it down. But it is the constant over months working through something. I think about the Mayos and watching that life group around when Jonathan was down for the count a couple months ago, how that life group genuinely lifted that family up. I mean, we're talking about like, I mean, we're talking about childcare. We're talking about food. We're talking about prayers. We're talking about like late night calls and texts. We're talking about all of these things. And it didn't just happen that Jonathan was on his back for a day and a couple of people just swooped in. But no, this was for a couple of months providing support. My mom recently, my, my, my dad passed away about a year and a half ago, and she would say this is, is true. It's, it's amazing when someone passes away, how many people show up. But four months later, it's almost they forget. And I think one of the things around Christian community is, is to understand that, that it's not like, you know, we'll never forget, and you know, some of us that conjures up all sorts of different things, but like, We'll never forget in the sense that we'll always, we will always support and love and we will work through hard things together. One of the applications here, if you, you, you are welcome to scan this QR code, I promise it's not a security situation, uh, but it takes you to a Google spreadsheet of all of these different one another's. And I, one of the things I invite you to is to ask the question, like dive in, you can do it online, you can just search one another's, but like evaluate yourself. How well are you living out the one another's? I want to tell a quick story about one of the people here. Yes, Lauren was always that fun. This was literally, we weren't even dating yet. But it's about that guy right there, not the one at the top that's really strange, but the, the one that's about to fly away with his, uh, with his hair. But his name's Austin Grigg. This guy introduced Lauren and I. And um, the, the truth is, is if I would point out a friend in my life that's really lived out these one another's, it, it would be Austin Grigg. A couple examples. I know that we've, we've together had to work through some really hard things when uh, both of his sons were diagnosed with different types of medical and cognitive disability type of relationship uh, uh, issues that, that were just not planned. And, and we had to bear with them through that process. Austin was one of the first persons to meet my children. You want to talk about somebody who genuinely loves me. I mean, like he was there the day after to hold Cade in the hospital. When I think about even my day-to-day, -day, he will just randomly text me and ask questions around, hey man, how's business going? And at the heart of that isn't, well, how's your revenue and profit margin? That's not what he's asking. At the heart of it actually is this. How are you stewarding what God gave you? Here's the other crazy thing. He's, he, he will listen to this. I hadn't even told him about the sermon because he literally will watch our feed to see when I preach. And he will, in three days, send me a message and say, hey, I listened to your sermon and I have some feedback for you. 
And he does a good like compliment sandwich, but, but at the same time, like he, he will give me genuine feedback. See, truly living one another's out is about like going, it's not just about the friendships that, that, that last, you know, I mean, here's the thing, Austin and I could have just been a college relationship, you know, a college friendship, right? And we can point back to some of those friends in high school and we can point back to some of those friends in college and be like, oh, those were really powerful relationships. But let me tell you where the real relationships happen is when they're 20 years old. And it takes hard work to maintain them and that Jesus is at the center of all that they do. To become more like Christ, we need friends that teach us to act like Christ. And that's what the one another's help us do and help us know. The second foundation is courage in vulnerability. If there's something that I think that, that is part of the, the reason why this epidemic of isolationalism and, and this, this, all of this, this, this loneliness is I think it's that we've been trained not to actually open up to one another. That vulnerability, I would even say in Christian circles, vulnerability is often never actually achieved because we're being feared for judgment. We were gonna be feared that, that maybe we don't have it all together. We, we don't wanna look a certain way. Fear for asking help. But there's some one and others that talk to that. These three in particular. What does it look like to be courageous in vulnerability? The first thing is around admonishing one another. Now, no one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I really just want a good admonishment today. But the scriptures call us to do this. It, it, it calls us not to shy away from conflict. At many levels, I think that we harm and hurt when we hide from conflict. Lauren and I have the opportunity to, to sit across the couch from, from people in, uh, in marriage relationship issues and things like this. And I would say the number one culprit is, is they just aren't, aren't willing to engage in the conflict any longer or to dig down deep. Courage and vulnerability looks like confessing your sins to one another. And I'm not just talking about like, hey, I messed up, you know, this is where I'm at. Now, confession, yes, certainly is about like admitting the sins, saying it true. The word confess, if you ask a police officer to, you know, hey, you need to write a confession, here's what he's going to want. He's going to write you to be very specific about what you did, right? And oftentimes when we describe our sin patterns to each other, we, we might talk about the, the fruit of that sin, but we don't actually get down to the bottom level of the root of that sin, I know a lot of the sources of my sin nature in my life aren't necessarily the fruits that, that manifest from it, but it's actually the fear of being lonely or the fear of death or the anxiety that, that, that haunts me and plagues me through generational sin in my life. When I confess my sin, I do my best to, and I, I wanna call us all to this, is it's not just about saying, hey, my accountability group, I've been a part of so many accountability groups and I hate them. I do. Because oftentimes it's just admitting the thing and then passing the, the, the baton to the next person, the talking stick to talk about their sin. They never ask the question, why do you keep doing it? What's at the deeper level to work through confession? 
Real friendship. You know, it says like confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Healing's not just going to come from you just naming a sin. Healing's going to come through working it out together. And Ephesians 4.32 talks about forgiving each other. I mean, goodness gracious. If, if there's one thing that I hope that the church would be a model of is what does it look like to walk in forgiveness? You know, um, we jokingly talk about this, Lauren and I, is, is uh, when we were first got married, one of our, <laughs> we worked through and I'd say like, you know, she'd be mad at me about something and I'd say something. She's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way which for me is always like one of those things like, that's not actually like working through the process of forgiveness. Like I want to work deeper and she she has grown leaps and bounds in that. She's one of the most forgiving people because I'm a hot mess at home sometimes. But the truth is, is that like, I think that sometimes when we, you know, one of the things that I think is true is that often when we don't hear God in our life, it's mostly, most likely because we have not forgiven ourselves or others. Because by not forgiving, we reject the cross in our lives. The, the, whole, the whole purpose of Jesus is the reconciliation process that happens on the cross to, between us and him and him and the world. And the moment that we choose, those of us in the church, to not forgive, we actually just spit in the face of the beauty that's brought to us in the cross. We should be the most forgiving people. And honestly, in a lot of pop culture Christianity or political Christianity, like I think that we don't hear this enough. It's the message that's missing. And I challenge our communities in in our community here, the friends that you have, that forgiveness be a part of who you are. But I think the point that I'm trying to make here is to become more like Christ. We need friends that set the conditions for vulnerability. And just a real quick story when it comes to these crazy characters. Um, one of these guys I worked with, another guy was my boss. And about seven years ago, we decided that we were actually going to go out and just tour barbecue joints for a year in Atlanta. Started like a fun trip. But the thing is, is like, honestly, I did not want to drive home and then drive back to someplace in Atlanta on a weekday to spend time with people who were not genuinely, we were going to try and become friends. I wanted some work relationships, but I didn't, I wanted, I wanted something deeper. So we had our, we went to Fat Matt's, it was the first place we went to. We had those wet ribs and they were good. And afterwards we were looking across each other, the work talk was done, the shallowness was there. And I said, look, guys, like, I I love everything about this idea, but I don't have time for shallow relationships. And this was the statement that I said, and they jokingly tell me this all the time. It's like, remember that time when you sat across the way and you actually said this to me? Every time we meet, we will share a deep moment of our lives, starting with the relationships with our fathers. Now, men in the room, can you imagine sitting across somebody at a barbecue joint and literally this is the thing that focuses the, the, the first conversation we had? It's kind of like saying like, on a first date, I love you. <laughs> Because if there's one thing that will get men talking, it is their relationship with their fathers. And if there's one thing that will set the stage for vulnerability, it's choosing not to stay at the surface. And I challenge you, when you gather as believers, we can walk, Brent and Sarah, I love your life group questions. 
But sometimes we need to ask a deeper question. And we as leaders of life groups and as teams and all this sort of thing, sometimes we just gotta read the room and ask the Spirit of God, what's that deeper question that can bring us into a deeper intimacy with one another? How often do you think about that as you meet? Third point is hospitality, open doors and open hearts. That um, the truth of the matter is, is that there's, uh, there's, this, there's this verse here um, that Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now here's the thing. There are really powerful things that happen in strong relationships, but they can quickly become insular. And what we have to remember is that our relationship, if it's going to be a reflection of God, our relationships are actually meant to bless the world. That our deep friendships, one of the questions isn't about like, oh, can we go on vacation together? Oh, can we, can we like do a good cookout? Oh, you know, hey, could we even, maybe even like, you know, sometimes think about like pulling our money together to help somebody out. But rather is, is that to become more like Christ, we need friends to live on mission with. A real quick story of my life. This uh, little sweet little girl, um, almost 10 years ago was, or 12 years ago almost, was, was born. She was, uh, her, her parents, Ashley and Kyle, they were um, college friends of ours. And um, after a couple months, it was pretty clear that Skylar, something was not right. And Skylar was diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy was given about two years to live. She, she lived just a little beyond her second birthday. And during that time, Lauren and I were like, we have no idea what to do. I mean, we were in our 20s. We had no, we had no clue. We'd never really interacted with the idea of loss like this. So the only thing we can think of is like, maybe we can just get a photographer to take pictures of you and your family while she is still well and beautiful and, 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 and all of these things. And those pictures became this really huge source of grief. And here's the thing, that could be the end of the story and we can all be like, oh, the, the Bones did such a good job and all this sort of thing. Because that is, that's part of what we do. We rally around each other with grief. But five years afterwards, Ashley came over to our house in Decatur and said, hey, I have this wild idea. Remember those pictures that you gave us? I wanna do that for other people. And I wanna start a nonprofit. And I want you to be the president. And I want Austin, the guy I talked about, to, to be the vice president of the nonprofit. Would you help us? And we said, I don't know how to start a nonprofit, but let's go for it. And to this day, Love Not Lost is, is a nonprofit that, that does some really amazing things, but the most powerful thing is it quickly moved from photographs into the helping people process their grief. Now, are Ashley and Kyle active participates in, participants in our life? No. However, do, does our families live in mission together? Absolutely. Because we saw this opportunity as a kingdom moment to say, hey, guess what? Love not lost. Love is not lost at the end of death. And we will put that message in there every single day. And we will preserve the, the memories of others through the photographs so that their, their memory is not lost to us. Super powerful. And we live on mission together. And because of this, like they are constantly in my thoughts when Paul talks about that, like in scripture, like part of the reason why he says you're constantly in my thoughts is, is, is because he's doing, he's living on mission with these people. He knows these people in the depths of who they are. 
But his relationships weren't just about the deepening the relationships internally, but it was about being kingdom-minded in the ways that we act and react to the world. And this is a place that I think particularly just, just blossoms with maturity in relationships. This is hard because, I mean, here's the deal. We can talk about life groups and be like, oh, we're going to serve our cities and things like that. And that's, that's fair, right? But, but living on mission is not just about having a good service project. Living on mission is about knowing that our relationships are here to build the kingdom and to share it and to have open doors and inviting people in and to have our hearts open to be full of God's kingdom around us as we co-create and build it with him and share the gospel. And the last one is roots over roots. And for those who listen on the podcast, roots, R-O-O-T-S over roots, R-O-U-T-E-S. There's another verse that Jesus says, he's talking to the disciples in the same kind of set of verses. He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now here's the thing, like to lay one's life down for one's friends, I'm not sure if I'm gonna lay down my life for an acquaintance. I'm gonna lay it down for somebody that I've journeyed and I have done life with. But here's one thing that I know is true about our culture and even just in general about millennials, which I am sadly a part of. I feel more like a Gen Xer sometimes, but like I, I am that millennial, okay, that's cool. I had a Nintendo, I kind of remember not having a computer. But here's the thing, we are quick to move on. We're quick to move on. We're quick to make up our minds, we're quick to choose to go to a different job, to maybe jump into something, uh, one church that we're at, we're not really sure of, so we'll just move over to another place. It's just part of the things that the way that the world has wired us to be. And I think sometimes we prioritize things like ambition over relationships. And we don't consider the power of deep, long-lasting friendships. Now, a real quick aside here is that education is a real thing. So hear me. If you are, if you are here and you are part of a grad school and you are planning on moving on, we, we love this part of our church, actually. 50% of our church wasn't here during parking lot church. Y'all showed up last week and you're like, why in the world are we doing this? We are a transient church. And that's the reason why we make a big deal when people leave that are partners. We want to send them out because we believe we are a family sending people out into the world. I also want to recognize that life maturing is a real thing. That's, that is true. Like sometimes like you just need a season to be somewhere and then to move on to something else. And becoming missionaries is a real thing. We send people out. I mean, five years ago, we didn't even have like people that we were sending out from this church. And now we have like, we have several families that we are sending out into the world. So these things are a real thing. But for those of us who have gone through a portion of our life maturing, that we've, we've ended our education, the question is, is how much do you prioritize your relationships when thinking about your next step in life? I know that it would be one of the most powerful motivators to keep me here if like someone came in and said, oh, you, got, you, got, you can go and make millions of dollars somewhere. Like I, I honestly would pick my friends that I have right now to be here and the fact that I hate moving. I'm never gonna move ever. But the truth is, 
is there's a reason for that because I grew up with some pretty wild people. These are my parents' friends and they're about my age in this picture. And these people, when I think back about it, these were the neighborhood parties. These were all the things that were happening. They were down in the Cayman Islands because that's what you do when you're in East Cobb for vacation. But the thing is, is, I look back at these people and these are the people who showed up to my dad's funeral 30 years later. But also because those of us who are in our late 30s and early 40s, like, that, like this group of people, they don't know the context of what's going forward, but I do now. I know that somebody, my mom in there, in two years later would be diagnosed with hepatitis C and almost die a year later. I know about the relationships. I know about the, 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 the amazing businesses that they might have. I know about the kids. And I also know that as of right now, one of these families is going through one of those children that they left at home in this trip and going through that she's been diagnosed with stage four melanoma, melanoma cancer. But who shows up? It's these people. And those types of relationships are hard to find but when you find them and prioritize them in what you do, it's incredible. And so like when I think about this wild group of people that I get to spend every week with, and I look at these people, I know that I am a part of a group that is sending people out into the world to spread the gospel. I know that I have stories of things like adoption and I have stories of, of things like marriages that are super, super healthy. I also know that there are, there are moments in this group where we've had to like really sit down and, and grit through some really hard things. I mean, Sarah and I are pro-arguers. <laughs> but I know that when Faith calls me Tito Trey, which is an amazing Filipino honorific that I don't take lightly. And all those girls and kids share that. When Ransom calls me that, all of these kids, it's not just something that's gonna go to the wayside three years from now. I will be their uncle and Lauren will be their aunt and we'll be there at high school graduations and we'll be there in all these things because this is the long haul that we've treated Jim, Jim Elliott says this, when it, wherever you are, be all there. I had a friend, I lived to the hilt, every situation you believe to be the will of God. It's just an amazing thing. And I had a friend when we were in our 20s and he would stay here, we had a house church. He's like, we're gonna grow old together. And he and I got in this huge big fight about it. He's like, we are like 20 years old. We're not gonna grow each old together. But here's the thing, I'm gonna eat my words. I'm gonna grow old together with that group of people. And I have made that commitment that I'm going to do that. And there are going to be people who transition in and out of that group, but there's going to be a core of us who are all going to have gray hair, just like Sarah, one day. <laughs> Ain't no doubt. Because to become more like friends, I mean, more like Christ, we need friends for the long haul. So we just do. We have to prioritize it. And we don't do it enough. And I think one of the practical things I want you to hear is this. Prioritize friendships. Make, if you are in a season of life where you can actually put down roots, I wanna challenge you to do it. Even if it is just for five years, be all here while you're here. So to remind us as we venture into communion, 
is that the thing that genuinely does unite all of us is the body and blood of Jesus. Now, we didn't necessarily speak to what does the, how does friendship look outside of the church? But here's the thing. I think that if we are best friends with each other, our best version of friendship with each other, it could be some of the greatest evangelistic ways of living out life in the world. Should we encourage those people who don't know Jesus? Absolutely. Should we forgive one another in our relationship that don't know? It's one of the best ways to model what Jesus did in our lives and to celebrate it. But it also points us to the deeper thing that's true about us is that we are a family united in Christ and we come together every week to do communion, to remind ourselves that we come together at a common table where we share the heart and friendship of Jesus.